Thanks for tuning in to Mountain View Fellowship's weekly podcast with lead pastor Don Headley. At MVF, our mandate is pointing people to Jesus by fostering relationships. We know Jesus cared for people and placed a lot of emphasis on relationships. So we do too. We believe that we're created for relationship with God and that He gave each one of us a desire to belong. If you'd like more information about MVF, connect with us at mvfcolorado.com. Now, stay tuned for this week's message. We are going to wrap up this series entitled Glory. We've been in this for the last several weeks, and uh, that's a word that we don't talk about very often. You don't hear it much outside of church or maybe the misuse of it during sports. But really, glory just means it's God's character, his nature, his attributes. It's his way of relating to us, his radiance. It's his presence. It's how we experience God. That is his glory. And so uh, we've been in this text over the last several weeks talking about who God says he is in hopes that we would get a better understanding of his glory, of his presence. And, and so today, uh, I want to tell you, grab your Bibles, grab your devices, head over to um, Exodus chapter 33. We're going to start a chapter earlier, and I want us to walk uh, right into our main text, but I want to start a little bit sooner today so that we might have a better picture of why we're covering this, why it's so important for us. And I pray that it, it just kind of pops and comes to life for us today, that we see God a little bit differently when we leave here than the way we saw him when we came in this morning. Uh, I want to remind you as you're going there too, remember we have an Ask Anything program Numbers on the bottom of the screen. If you have questions, text those in. We will not be doing a pastor Q&A at the end of this service, but if you text a question in, you will receive an answer back via text as well. So keep that in mind as we go through this message today. As I said, this uh, whole idea is uh, about God's self-revelation of who he is. Now, a couple of weeks ago, we talked about the fact that we have a uh, skewed idea of who God is. We, our view of God sometimes is distorted because we overemphasize certain things, underemphasize certain things. Uh, some of us, we like the God of justice. Others, we like the God of love. And, and so we tend to really form and God around what we desire more than who he truly is. And I, and I use the example of a caricature how it overemphasizes certain characteristics or facial, uh, you know, structure and things like that to uh, overemphasize the, the person that they're drawing and, and how that gives you a distorted view of who they are. And I think the reverse of that sometimes could be this. Um, I want to show you some uh, animal hairs that are magnified. And, and it's interesting, if you go the other direction where you zoom in on something, and, and just by looking at one hair from the animal, could you tell me what animals those hairs are from? No, you can't. Even though this part, it's a part of the animal, right? It makes sense, but yet there's no way just from that one piece of hair that we're going to be able to tell that, uh, go ahead and, yeah, that that's a dog or that that's a seal. And, I, and some of you are like, I knew that. I knew, yeah, you didn't know that. Um, we, there's just no way. And yet, uh, this is what we do with God so often. We say, well, my God, my God's a God of love. And is that true? Yes, it is true. But it's, it's distorting it if you leave out all the other attributes. And so over the last several weeks, we've been covering all of these different attributes of God in hopes that we would have a more clear picture of who God is. Now, as we get going this morning, I want to let you know, um, I know as especially those of you that were raised in the church, those of you that have been attending church for quite some time, uh, 
One of the biggest dreads that we have in churches is when we show up on a Sunday morning, walk in, and the pastor gets up and has to do some type of a confession. And we hate those Sundays. And unfortunately, today is one of those days, and I need to confess something to you. Um, I don't want to do this. I'm kind of embarrassed about it. And, and I know that, that um, my wife condemns this but I feel like I need to confess it, not just to her, but to all of you, and she doesn't know it. She's sitting over here. Um, But I have to say that two weeks ago, um, I started listening to Christmas music (laughs) before Thanksgiving. And and she hates that. Like, she thinks you can't listen to Christmas music until you get to Thanksgiving. And after that, maybe you can start it, you know, maybe the night of, but really you have to wait till the sun comes up the next morning. And, and, and so I think that you can listen to Christmas music any time of the year, because really any day of the year is a good day to celebrate the birth of our Savior, right? So, so depending on where you fall on that, I, I'm just letting you know that the reason I bring that up is because we are entering into the holiday season. And as a church body, it's one of my favorite times of the year. We have so much fun around here celebrating the holidays, and, and we're kicking it off this week week. This is uh, Thanksgiving week. Happy Thanksgiving. Uh, But this Wednesday night, we're going to kick it off the best way that we know how. We're going to gather in this room. We're going to worship. We're going to have open mics. You can come down and share what you're thankful for. Uh, And I hope, here's the thing, I hope that you'll come and you'll be a part of this because this is a great way to kick off your holiday season. And um, let me ask the question. And before I ask the question, because I hate asking questions if you don't know the answer to it already, um, I'll just give you a hint. The answer to the question is in the question, all right? So what is the correct response to Thanksgiving? Thanksgiving. Yeah, you guys are sharp. Awesome. Um, So it's Thanksgiving, right? It's this idea of of worshiping with Thanksgiving and a heart of gratitude and and pouring back out to God some of what he's given us. And so we're going to have a lot of fun this Wednesday night at this Thanksgiving Eve service. I hope that you'll come because it it is the best way to kick off your holiday season. But also I bring that up because today in our text, I want to show you that I think the correct response to all of this to to, uh, Thanksgiving, but also every day, the presence of God, the glory of God, the the correct response is worship. It's gratitude. It's Thanksgiving. That's the correct response. And I think not just one day a year, but I think every day of the year, this would be the correct response. And I want to show this to you in Exodus chapter 33, as we get to this portion of the scripture Uh, We, if you've been here over the last few weeks, you've heard this story, you know that uh, God has rescued the Israelites out of slavery. He's brought them out of Egypt. They've crossed the Red Sea. It's a miraculous miracle. Uh, He leads them into the wilderness. They cross the desert. They come to the foot, the base of Mount Sinai. And on Mount Sinai, God is giving them instructions. He's creating a covenant with this group of people. And yet in the midst of this, Moses is up on the mountain and he's receiving instructions from God. And what are the people doing? They're breaking all the, covenant, the covenants right now, the commandments. They're, they're down in the valley. They, they've created an idol. They're worshiping. They're, they're in an orgy. It's this horrible scene. And God tells Moses, and it's very interesting the language used there, because he's been calling them my people, my people, my people all along. And in this moment, he talks to Moses and he says, your people. Like, your people, you better go take care of them, because I'm about to strike them all. I'm just going to start over. I'm going to start with you. And Moses goes down off the hill, and he takes care of business, doesn't he? He gets it done. 
And so uh, between the mountain and what we call the tent of meeting, which was this tent that, that they fashioned um, that Moses would take, he would set it up outside the camp. Between those two places, he's meeting with God and he's getting instructions and he kept, keeps interceding for the people. And, and I want to show you how this tent of meeting kind of unfolds. It's very fascinating when you read this text. It comes in Exodus chapter 33, starting in verse 8. You there? All right, let's jump into this. Um, it says, whenever Moses went out to the tent of meeting, all the people would get up and stand in the entrances of their own tents. They would all watch Moses until he disappeared inside. As he went into the tent, the, uh, the pillar of cloud would come down and hover at its entrance while the Lord spoke with Moses. I love this. You guys, uh, if you don't know what that pillar of cloud is about, all you, have to, uh, about, all you have to do is just back up a few chapters and you realize that when God led his people out of Egypt, he led them by day by a pillar of cloud by day and by night. It was a pillar of fire, right? So that they could see his presence. They could get a, a visual of his glory. This is God. He is with you. He is leading you. And they could follow it. And now in this tent of meeting, Moses would go into this tent right outside the camp. And it says that that God's presence, it's a symbol, a visible symbol of God's presence coming down to dwell with his people would come down. And Moses would meet with him in the tent. What did the people do? Verse 10, it says, when the people saw the cloud standing at the entrance of the tent, they would stand and bow down in front of their own tents. Uh, Another translation says that they would stand up, then they would bow in worship. Why? Because God is in their midst. Because there's a visible presence of the almighty God right there. How can you help but not bow down and worship? What's going on inside the tent? Verse 11 It says, inside the tent of meeting, the Lord would speak to Moses face to face as one speaks to a friend. Afterwards, Moses would return to the camp, but the young man who assisted him, Joshua, son of Nun, would remain behind in the tent of meeting. I think there's a couple of fascinating things in this passage. First one really intrigues me. Moses goes into the tent, the the cloud would come down, the people would gather outside their own tents, and they would bow and they would worship. Why? Because God's there. And Moses goes into the tent, and it says that he would meet with him face to face. He would speak to him face to face as one speaks to a friend. Now, um, I know some of you are already going, wait a minute, it says that no one can see the face of God. And you're right, this is an idiom, it's this idea, it's just really an expression talking about how the relationship was between Moses and God, and that it was open, and it was free, and it was intimate, it was this great relationship, and he's talking to God, and God's speaking back as a friend speaks to a friend. And as you read that, I hope your heart goes, man, I wish I could do that. To be able to sit in God's presence, and to go, God, I'm why is this happening in my life right now? Can you, can you share this with me? God, what, what do you have in store for me? What do you want from me tomorrow and the day after that? God, give me some direction in my life. God, give me some answers to these questions. God, would you please minister in this area of my life that's hurting right now? Could you imagine if God could speak to you as, as a friend speaks to a friend? Um, do you realize he can? He can. Uh, Because years later, God would send his son, Jesus, who would come in the flesh. Jesus would be on the earth, 100% God, 100% human, and he would be having conversations with his disciples. He would speak to them as friends. 
And that's recorded. It's written down in a book for us to read 2,000 years later. We get to read that. We get to hear what God had to say while he was here. And then not only that, but Jesus goes to the cross. He dies for our sins. He's placed in a tomb. He rises three days later. And then he sends a counselor. He sends his Holy Spirit. He sends an advisor who dwells within us. When we receive Christ as our Lord and Savior, we are filled with the Holy Spirit. And you get to get this. You get to commune with God. You get to sit in his presence and you get to speak to God. And he speaks to you as a friend speaks to a friend. Some of the problem for me, though, I don't know if you have the same problem, is I do a lot of speaking and not a lot of listening. And sometimes we need to shut up and just listen. Just enjoy being in the presence of God. Sometimes we take that for granted. And Jesus paid a high price so that we could have that type of relationship with him. Not only is Moses in the tent and, he, and he's having a conversation with God, but then it says when he'd leave that his, um, this right-hand man of his, this young man by the name of Joshua, would not leave the tent. He would stay right there at the tent. And I love that part of the scripture. Because if you know this story, Joshua is kind of a, a right-hand man. He's, he's being discipled by Moses. And Moses is pouring into this young man. And he's coming up as a leader. And it's phenomenal to see that when Moses leaves the tent, Joshua's like, not, I'm not going anywhere. I'm staying right here. Why would he do that? I think it's because he sought to stay close to where God would be, where his presence dwelled. This is where Moses meets with God. I'm not going anywhere. I'm staying right here. You can't talk me out of leaving. I see, his, I see his glory. I see his presence. I'm not leaving this place. I want to stay right here. And Joshua clearly got a lot of training and waiting. Because when Moses went up on the mountain, he stayed halfway up there waiting on Moses to come down for 40 days and 40 nights. And now we see him waiting at the tent. Now, we don't know how long it was. It's not clear, but it says a lot, I think, about Joshua's willingness to submit himself to be a servant of Moses, to be a disciple of Moses. And all of you that are part of Mountain View Fellowship, you know what the question is I'm going to ask now, don't you? Who are you discipling? Who's discipling you? This is the power of discipleship because we know that right after this, by the time 40 years passes, Moses hands the baton off to Joshua, and Joshua, the same young man that won't leave the tent, doesn't want to leave the presence of God, is the man that leads Israel into the promised land. He's the one that conquers the promised land, not Moses. Who is it that you're discipling? Who is it that you're pouring into? And who's pouring into you? Who's your discipler? You've got to answer those two questions. This is the way God set it up. It says in verse 12, One day Moses said to the Lord, You've been telling me, take these people up to the promised land, but you haven't told me whom you will send with me. You have told me, I know you by name, and I look favorably on you. If it is true that you look favorably on me, let me know your ways, get this, so I may understand you more fully and continue to enjoy your favor. And remember that this nation is your very own people. We see Moses speaking to God here, and he's being very bold. God, you, you told me you were going to send somebody. See, earlier in Exodus chapter 33, if you go up to verse 2, you'll find out that God told him, look, I'm going to take you to the promised land. When you go into the promised land, I'm going to send an angel in front of you who's going to conquer the other nations. And that, get this, is not good enough for Moses. 
Moses says, no, 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 wait. Um, I want you to go with us. See, I see a difference in this Moses as opposed to the Moses in Exodus chapter 3 that's standing there next to the burning bush. Remember that, Moses? I don't, I don't know what to do, God. I, I can't do this. I don't speak very well. You've got to send somebody with me. Remember that, Moses? He's timid. He's shy. And yet in this moment, we fast forward, he's bold. God, I want you to go with us. Just give me the instruction. I'll follow you. We'll go wherever. There's a big difference in those two. And what, where does that difference come from? You know where it comes from? Being in the glory of God, being in the presence of God. Having a relationship where you speak to one another and he speaks to you as a friend speaks to his friend. Sitting in the tent of meeting. Now for Moses, it wasn't enough to know that he and Israel were going to go in and take the promised land. By his estimation, the promised land was nothing special without the presence of God. Don't send us there unless you go with us. Wherever you go, I go. But if you're not going to go, I'm not going to go. That's what he says. Moses says, let me know your ways so I may understand you more fully and continue to enjoy your favor. That's what this whole series has been about. God, show us your glory. Teach us who you are. Who do you say that you are so that we get a better picture of who you are so that we know how to follow you so we can become more like you. He says, show me. And what what does God say? Look at his answer in verse 14. The Lord replied, I will personally go with you, Moses, and I will give you rest. Everything will be fine for you. Then Moses said, he reiterates it right here. If you don't personally go with us, don't make us leave this place. How will anyone know that you look favorably on me, on me and your people, if you don't go with us? For your presence among us sets us, sets your people and me apart from all the other people on the earth. God, without your presence, we're nothing. If you're not in it, I don't want it. If you don't come, I'm not going. You know what that's called? That's called worship. Moses is relentless in his pursuit of God's presence, of his glory. He wants to see God. He wants to see God move. He wants to see God work. He wants to follow God wherever he's going. That's a pursuit of God's presence. And and Moses had it. Let me ask you, do you have it? How relentless are you about the presence of God? How How relentless am I? Do I just go through my day and I never once think about God? Do I just do what I want and hope that God tags along? Can I say the same thing? God, if you're not in it, I don't want it. If you don't lead me, I'm not going. Show me what you want. Teach me so that I might have a greater understanding of who you are. Grow me up in you. Make me more like you. Am I that way? I don't know, man. I don't know. I was talking to a friend this last week, and, and I was sharing with him kind of what I was struggling with and what I was dealing with. And, and I said, you know, God struck me this week because I was actually scrolling through social media. And I took most of all my social media. I'm off of it. But I've got one. I've just got one. That's all I've got. And I'm scrolling through it. And, and it was almost like God said, um, how much time have you spent on that today? And how much time have you spent with me? I was like, Man. Do I really want God's presence? Do I really seek it? Do I pursue it? Or am I just distracted by all the flashy things? Uh, 
I was telling this friend um, this, and he's much younger than I am, and, and he was like, well, you know you can put a limit on that, right? And I'm like, what? He's like, yeah, on your phone, you could actually set a limit for your social media, and it'll shut it off. And I was like, oh, that's a great idea. So he showed me how to do it, because you have to help old people with their phones. And he showed me how to do it, and it's been amazing this entire week. I've been very conscious to make sure that I'm spending more time in the Word of God than I'm spending on social media. And you know what's made a massive difference in this week? Like, I find myself more grateful. I find myself focused more on him and and praising him. It's incredible the change that that makes. Little adjustments to pursue the glory of God, to pursue the presence of God. Uh, There's a worship song that I've had repeating. It's it's been on my list here uh, for years, but it's, it's just been repeating lately. And I keep going back to it. And it really hit me about two weeks ago when I was, I was listening to it. And I shared it with my wife. And I was like, do we, really, do we really sing this? Like, do we really mean this when we sing it? Uh, let me just show you some of the words. It says, strip everything away till all I have is you. Undo the veils so all I see is you. I will pursue you. I will pursue your presence. Open my eyes. Search me inside. Listen, I can't live without your presence. And it hit me. I'm singing. I'm worshiping to it. And yet I go, whoa, time out. Am I thinking about what I'm saying? Do I really want God to strip everything away till all I have is him? Can I be honest with you? I was like, no. I, I like my heated seats. Right? I like my water heater. Strip everything away. God, I don't know. Could I really, really just, pers- just say, look, God, with you, I have everything. Without you, um, I have nothing, even if I have everything else. Can I really say that? And, and it, I don't think God is really asking us just to throw everything away. He's not doing that. But what he's saying is just make sure nothing else gets in front of me. That, that you don't take the focus off of me. And would we still follow Christ if everything was stripped away? Or would we blame him? Do, do, do we have a relentless pursuit of the presence of God? And see, this isn't new. I think, it's, I think it's really bad in the Western world. I think as American Christians, we struggle with it more than most. But see, it's not new because God even told us it was going to be like this. He told his own people it was going to be like this. Clear back in Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 10, it says, The Lord your God will soon bring you into the land he swore to give you when he made a vow to your ancestors, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. It is a land with large, prosperous cities that you did not build. The houses will be richly stocked with goods you did not produce. You will draw water from cisterns you did not dig, and you will eat from vineyards and olive trees you did not plant. When you have eaten your fill in the land, get this, be careful not to forget the Lord. He rescued you from slavery in the land of Egypt. You must fear the Lord your God and serve him. And some of your translations say worship him. It says fear the Lord your God and worship him. When you take an oath, you must use only his name. He told us we were going to run into this. He says, look, when I bless you, and things are going your way, and you have the things that you desire, you're going to forget me. And you're going to walk away from me, and you're going to think that you did all of that. You're going to think it's because of you. I asked um, 
Tim, Pastor Tim, if we could take some of the worship and move it to the end. Because I felt like we needed to hear this text so that we might be able to worship properly. And it's not about worshiping God for how he's blessed us. Don't, don't miss this, this Thanksgiving, okay? It's not about, thank you, God, I'm going to praise you because you have blessed me. It's this idea that we praise him, we seek his presence, we glorify him because of who he is, not because of what we get from him. That's what this whole series has been. That's why we've gone through every attribute. We want us to get a better picture of who God is so that we might worship him accurately. And in in this next section, we're actually going to worship together. One of the lines you're going to sing says, my soul, Lord, to you surrendered, all I am is yours. And I wonder, are we going to sing that just to sing it? Or are we going to mean it? Because Moses, in this moment, Moses means it. If you're not coming, I'm not going. If you're not in it, I don't want it. Moses says, God, if you're not coming, don't send us from this place. Now, how did God respond to that? Look at verse 17. The Lord replied to Moses, I will indeed do what you have asked, for I look favorably on you, and I know you by name. Isn't that amazing? Know you by name. Now, I know the Almighty God knows each and every one of us. He knows us by name. But I wonder, does he know my name because he knows my name? Or does he know my name because we have such a close relationship? See, I desire that. It says in verse 18, Moses responded, then show me your glorious presence. Some of the other translations say it this way. Moses said, please let me see your glory. Let me see you. God, show me who you are. You know what he's saying? Strip everything away till all I have is you. I'll pursue you. I can't live without your presence. That's what he's saying. He's worshiping that moment. God, please let me see your glory. And it's on the tail end of that that we get to the text that we've been in for the last several weeks. Exodus chapter 34, verse 5. It says, Then the Lord came down in a cloud and stood there with him. And he called out his own name, Yahweh. The Lord passed in front of Moses, calling out Yahweh. These are the attributes. The Lord, the God of compassion and mercy. I am slow to anger and filled with unfailing love and faithfulness. I lavish unfailing love to a thousand generations. I forgive iniquity, rebellion, and sin, but I do not excuse the guilty. I lay the sin of the parents upon their children and grandchildren. The entire family is affected, even children in the third and fourth generations. And as I read through that, if any of those confused you, it's probably because you missed one of the weeks. Go back and listen to those because it's important that you understand everything in this text because this is God declaring who he is. And if you really want to know God, you got to get familiar with this text. We covered all of those over the last few weeks. God, in that moment, he reveals his glory. He reveals his presence to Moses. This is who I am. Now, the question that I have today and what I want to hit, especially as we're coming up to Thanksgiving Day, is how did Moses respond to that? How do you respond to the presence of God, to his glory? Look at verse 8. Moses immediately threw himself to the ground and what? And worshiped. That's the appropriate response. 
Look at what he said. It says, and he said, oh Lord, if it is true that I found favor with you, then please travel with us. Yes, this is a stubborn, rebellious people, but please forgive our iniquity and our sins. Claim us as your own special possession. See, I think Moses' response to God's glory was to worship. To worship in humility and and thankfulness and gratitude. And And he asked three things there. He asked for God's presence. He says, oh, Lord, if it is true that I found favor with you, please travel with us. Don't leave us. Stay with us. Grant us your presence. That's what we need more than anything. Without you, we have nothing. That's what he's saying. And then he seeks pardon. He says, yes, this is a stubborn and rebellious people, but please forgive our iniquity and our sins. This is the fourth time since the golden calf that he's interceded for the people. Please forgive us. We know our sin is great. Grant us your forgiveness. God, you said that you are a God that is full of unfailing love and that you forgive and that you're faithful to that. All he's doing is he's calling on God's character. Why? Because God shared his presence, his glory, and Moses is getting a better understanding of who his God is. That's why you need it. In those moments, you can call on God to be who he is. When we worship, part of our worship should be, God, um, search me. Show me if there's anything in me that is not aligning with your will, with your desire, who you are, and convict me. Show me what that is. And forgive me for it. Show me how I might be more like you. And then the last one is just possession. He says, claim us as your own special possession. God, I'm yours. I'm all yours. My soul, Lord, to you surrendered. All I am is yours. He's worshiping in this moment. And so what I want to challenge us to do today is to to move into a time of worship. Some of you, it might be that you have to get on your knees. Some of you might be hands raised. Some of you, it might just be to sit and be in prayer. Whatever it is for you, we just want to give you the space and the time and the freedom to be able to worship in this moment. Not, not to worship him for what he's given you, but to worship him because of his presence, because of his glory. Worship him because of who he is. Would you join me in a word of prayer? Heavenly Father, we dedicate this, uh, this next section of time to you. Lord, I ask for every person in the room that we would just be solely focused upon you that you would meet us where we're at, that you would speak to us as one speaks to a friend. Through your Holy Spirit, Lord, I I just ask that you would minister to our hearts, to those who need encouragement, would you build them up, to those who need conviction, would you convict us? God, help us, help us just to chase after you, to pursue your presence like never before. And Lord, I, I pray, especially as this season rolls up on us here, that we would find ourselves worshiping from a heart of gratitude and thankfulness, not, not because of all the blessings, And I pray that those blessings wouldn't lead us away from you, but they would direct us back to you and that we would worship you because of who you are. God, we give you this this time. We just ask that you would meet us right right where we're at. We pray all this in the name of Jesus Christ and all God's people said.